Hey there, EM Over Easy listeners. Drew Kelno here. Ever walk into a shift ready to tackle the day only to hear those dreaded three words, remember that patient? All of a sudden your heart sinks and you get that feeling in your stomach asking yourself, oh no, what did I miss or what happened? Well, bounce backs are a part of emergency medicine and while nerve wracking, they can become an incredible learning experience. Mike Weinstock took this experience and turned it into a series of books appropriately called Bounce Backs. This series has become an incredible compilation of encounters that walk us through the initial visit, what went right and wrong, a little commentary over the case, and then of course, the bounce back encounter itself. We at EM Over Easy were able to sit down with Mike to hear a little bit about his story and how bounce backs came to fruition. These books and cases are awesome for medical students, residents, and attendants alike. If you haven't had a chance to check out these fantastic books, visit embouncebacks.com, find Mike on Twitter with the same handle, at embouncebacks, and listen to him on the MRAP podcast series. Now, of course, don't forget about us. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and of course, check out our website, emovereasy.com, for more awesomeness. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of EM Over Easy. I'm Drew Kelno, joined by Tanner and Andy. We got the three EM Over Easy guys, and we have an awesome guest this morning, Mike Weinstock, the man behind Bounce Backs, uh, also the voice you hear on MRAP with awesome uh, medical legal advice. We're very excited to have you here this morning. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks so much for having me. This is this is awesome, and it's even better to be able to drink coffee while I'm podcasting today. Uh, well, you know, live podcasting's a little different than uh, <laughs> maybe some of the other stuff people are doing, so... Yeah. It's about pretty relaxed. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I think people have read your books, which I started reading as a medical student and thought they were uh, an absolute fantastic way to get some clinical insight as you're learning medicine. And, and now as an actual person practicing medicine, I still think they're fantastic. Um, and how you've gotten to MRAP and just kind of where, where you are. Well, you know, it's, it's actually sort of a funny story because I've been working at Mount Carmel St. Anne's. It's a community hospital, about 75,000 ED visits a year since 1996. And I became interested for our M&M conferences. And the first one we did was me and these two guys in my living room. So, <laughs> you know, it's like a, sort of a small start. But, you know, anytime you have low expectations, you can always surpass them, I think. So anyway, um, we looked at patients who actually bounced back because it seemed like those are the ones that were the more interesting to us because we wanted to try to avoid that. The um, cases grew and grew and grew, and eventually someone said, why don't you put that into a book format? So I, I mean, do you want to hear the whole story of like how this actually happened, the bounce back? Absolutely, sure. Okay, <laughs> all right. So um, it, it's, it's actually funny. Greg Henry, being so colorful and animated, I thought would be a perfect person to have some commentary after the first visit without knowing what happened to the second visit. So I called him up, left a message, didn't hear back. Called him back again, left another message, didn't hear back. But I'm a persistent guy. <laughs> you know, so I called him back a third time, and he's like, what do you want? I was like, well, I got this idea. Just hear me out. He says, oh, that's actually a pretty good idea. So uh, he logged into the whole thing. We came up with the first book and pitched it to Mel Herbert. And as it turns out, we used these cases in like a multidisciplinary type of fashion. So we had the very first one. We had a, a Lincoln-Douglas-style debate. We had Wyatt Decker, who was the head at the Mayo Clinic. We had lawyers and other medical educators. And it turned out that people really liked to have all that different perspective because they liked to see the different points that they could branch out at 
during the middle of their initial evaluation and to see what other people thought as far as different diagnostic pathways. And then uh, that's the end of this. That's the rest. I guess that's through sort of the beginning of the story. Then we did Bounce Backs Medical Legal, Bounce Backs Pediatrics. And I guess I could announce on this show for the first time we have Bounce Backs Critical Care Whoa. in process right now with Kevin nice. Clower and Scott Weingart. Breaking news. And uh, breaking news here at the DK Diner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I look forward to that. I, read some of these and, and you go, how could they have done that? Why wouldn't they have done that extra test? You read some other uh, of the cases, you go, absolutely, I would have done the same thing. And then other ones, you go, wow, I can't believe that's where it went on the next visit. So it's it's a great mix of, and you never know when you see a patient which side of that you're going to fall on when the patient ends up bouncing back. That's always been the primary criteria for selecting a case. If I could envision someone listening to that case saying, yeah, I might have handled it the same way. And then we can sort of move from that standard of care to excellence in care by saying many people would have handled it the same way, but think about these few things as part of that case. Maybe these few red flags that, you know, flow of the chart that doesn't really make sense or a nurse's note that doesn't correlate with something in the doctor's note. So that was always the criteria, and, and I myself have learned so much from these cases. I think uh, I, I see it in our residents a lot now a day is that the very similar style of concept when we're discussing cases. Even last night, our attending looks over and says, hey, guys, I have a case. Let's run through this real quick and let me know what you think. How would you have approached this case or what would you have done differently? And it was exactly like a bounce back case straight from the book. It was awesome. There's these uh, researchers, Weirs and Nemeth, they talk about how you learn from bounce back cases. And what they talk about is that you don't really learn as much by saying, you know, why did the provider who saw the patient do something that was incorrect as when you say to yourself, you know, why did that workup and management seem reasonable at the time? And only when you understand why it seemed reasonable can you understand how you could have surpassed that and made it better. No, I, I completely agree. Now, when we talk about all these bounce backs, you've done a lot of them. Is there a case that this kind of stands out to you? One that you'll, the first one you thought of when you wanted to make the book? Or? One of the cases that stands out the most for me is actually one that we did on MRAP was the 15-year-old girl who had the right lower quadrant abdominal pain. And the reason I like that case, I, I, I mean, it sort of sounds corny, but I sort of get even chills when I think about it, is because it's the quintessential case that is so colorful and engaging that people remember the case. And so then the lesson they learn from it they can carry on through their practice. And there were so many parts of that evaluation that seemed so reasonable. It's right little quadrant pain. A CAT scan was done. They saw a hemorrhagic ovarian cyst. They thought they had a diagnosis. But there were so many subtleties that could have improved the care of that patient. For example, a repeat exam or looking back on the history with a complaint of fever. It was subjective fever, but it didn't really go along with the final diagnosis. And the... The fact that this was a CT diagnosis and the family felt reassured with the diagnosis and kept feeding the patient pain medicine as she continued to get worse. So what we were able to do is go back and trace and interview all the providers through the course of this. The initial visit when the patient came back into a family practice clinic, they got sent to an emergency department, and we got the family practice resident that saw the patient, the emergency department physician who saw the patient, the OBGYN provider who saw the patient eventually, and we were able to trace all of it through and just see exactly what happened. But um, it was the quintessential case that, yeah, I'd have handled it the same way, but when I think about it a little bit more, there's some things that could have been done to help improve patient care. I'm not sure if it would have saved her life, but it stands out to me as the 
perfect bounce back teaching case. So I heard from somebody that, uh, that you have, you're a man of many, many talents <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I, I heard you're in a band. It is true. It is true. Yes. What, what kind of band is it? And what, uh, do you think that helps with your, your medicine side of your career or is it just like a, a vent? You know, I'd say what helps with the medicine career is what you guys are doing here. Because when you're just seeing patients that sort of stale, fluorescent emergency department, I mean, it's good, you know, and I enjoy my work with that. But it needs to be, I think, a little bit more that's going to keep you interested for the course of a 30, 40-year career. Um, my band is called The Big Rockin' Blues Band. Nice. <laughs> which is thebigrockinbluesband.com. No cool. G on the rockin'. But um, anyway, we do a lot of blues, and we do some uh, sort of classic rock kind of stuff. And it's an eight-person band, and it is like every time I get up there on stage, it's like this is my dream come true to be playing. <laughs> and people are dancing and having fun, and it's just a, a really, really good time. I love blues. So you play an instrument? Are you a vocalist? Or? Yeah, so I play uh, guitar. I okay. play rhythm guitar. I play a Strat, and then I also have uh, acoustic I play occasionally. And I play harmonica, and I sing. Yeah, so. How did you, did you self-teach yourself the, the, the harmonica or? <laughs> I used this old B.B. King video from like 30 years no, ago. <laughs> no way. And um, he was playing and then there was a harmonica teacher on there. And they started a very simple way to play harmonica. And then just a, two holes, holes three and four. And <laughs> you can actually play some really great blues harmonica with just a couple holes on the harp. But um, it's... Uh, the harmonica part is nice because it's more just the free form kind of it, whereas the chords sort of have to be, right, yeah. you know? A um, little secret of harmonicas, they come in keys. Mm. So if you actually get the correct key, it's hard to really do a bad note on it. Whereas with the guitar, it's easy to hit the wrong note. <laughs> <laughs> and I've done that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so you've been doing a lot. I mean, you got, you've got the books, um, you've got a family, you've got a band. Um, what You know, whenever we talk to people, we kind of want to know, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Like, what makes... Mike wants to want to be you when you wake up. You know, it is um, easier to get out of bed some mornings than others, certainly. <laughs> um, and uh, it's the balance, I think, that really keeps you interested. And interesting, that's also, I think, the toughest thing about it. If you're working so many shifts because you want to you know, pay off your, it used to be a Ferrari, now it's a Tesla, I guess, right? You know, so if you want to, you know, pay off your house payment, your student loans and all that, and you schedule yourself 20, 22 shifts, boy, you're not going to be able to sustain it for a whole career. And the things that I've found that make it easy to sustain a whole career, one is by being interested in the medicine. And if you sort of lose interest in that, nothing is going to be helpful. The other thing is, striving towards, and I haven't reached it yet, but striving towards excellence in medicine. And if you can go into your shift and all that nervousness of like resident or early attending type of type of feeling when you go into work, if you can get rid of that because you know that you're practicing good medicine, all of a sudden it's fun. And, and you know, you asked about the analogy with the guitar. When you're thinking about, you know, first finger, second string, second fret, third finger, third string, third fret, and you can get rid of that specificity of it and you can just say I'm just playing the chords and I can put my passion into it well all of a sudden now it becomes not as much about the medicine itself as the interaction with the people and the healing and the hopefully you know critical care and procedure aspects of things too so the balance between being a 
being comfortable with your ability as a, as a provider, balancing that with your family. But if we neglect our own selves, maybe exercise or other things that we're passionate about, for me, music and other things, then all of a sudden, you know, we're not really working towards anything. We're just like a robot that's sort of going or a bird flying south for the winter. And so I think keeping ourselves present in that practice of medicine, remember why I went into it, even though it sounds a little corny, is a thing that keeps me getting up every morning. Well, I think that's that's perfect. And, and something that Tanner and I told to our, our new intern class when they started back in, you know, this was the end of June, as they're starting, getting ready to start their first shifts. And I actually sent them an email to remind them. And I try to live by this when I work is, I want three things. Every time I show up to work, or every day really, because it's not just about medicine, it's have fun is the most important thing. Enjoy what you're doing, and that has to be both professionally and personally. Challenge yourself to do something that you haven't done, push the limits, stress yourself out a little bit, and then learn something new every day. Mm -hmm. And learning, again, doesn't always have to be clinical, managing a certain patient. It can be, you know, I learned how to talk to this patient better. I learned how to come home from a shift and interact with my family better. I learned something totally wacky that doesn't relate to anything, but I learned something new. And if you can do those three things every day, then I really feel like I am bettering myself, but also the people around me. And then the other thing you mentioned, which wellness is the word thrown out a lot. I don't really like wellness. I like the idea of balance, mm-hmm. which is you have to balance your professional life with your personal life and keep everything that's important to you going. And I, you know, for us, it's a little podcasting. It's a few other things in life. I think bounce backs probably gives you a lot of that mm-hmm. kind of balance. And, and also a band is, is an amazing, amazing way to do that. Yeah, that, that's, those, those are great things to, to, to teach to others. And I, I'm guessing that they probably hear, you know, 20% of it now and will remember 80% of it later. Right. Boy, oh boy, if you think to yourself that, you know, you've done all this work and then you become an attending and you burn yourself out in five or seven years, well, it just seems so... What's the point of all yeah, the work you've done? Yeah, what a shame, yeah, to have that. So even though you might not make as much money or have as efficient of a day, but the stuff that you guys are doing and, and, and teaching and all, that's the thing that's going to keep you interested as you go through and learning one new thing every day also. Totally important stuff to do. Do you have... I mean, you've been, you've been in the field for a while now. Do you have anyone that's been like a, a huge inspiration to you? Probably... One of the one of the biggest inspirations to me is one that has been to many others also, which is Mel Herbert. And Mel has figured out a way to keep people interested in learning in a way that's manageable in the age of texting and yeah. uh, all of our own ADD. I'm speaking for myself. I know, but you guys probably share that. Absolutely. Feeling sure also. I don't think I used to be ADD, but I certainly am now. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. No, yeah. <laughs> Anything longer, like 60 seconds, is like, yeah, what else are we doing? Right. So he has figured out the way to perform medical education for folks that are working, you know, shifts. And no one is sitting there listening to an hour-long lecture. And the inspiration that he's had is not only with the writing I've done, but also the speaking and podcasting, too, is combining something for medical education that you have good information that people are going to take back to their practice to change their practice, but doing it in a colorful way that's also engaging and something people are going to remember because it can be awesome. And if they don't remember it, it was totally worthless. So he has figured out a way talking about balance to balance those different things with medical, medical education. And if you look at meetings now, at least in emergency medicine, we have all 20, 30 minute lectures. And it's because I think it's because of Mel Herbert. That's such a good point. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts now. And I started 
probably all my podcasts listen with MRAP. And I got so used to that, you know, short, quick, to the point type of podcast that now even these phenomenal podcasts I'm listening to that are an hour and a half long, I, it's so hard to do. I don't have the mindset. And even a non-medical podcast that do it well, uh, they might cover one topic, but they switch the way they cover that topic every 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, Freakonomics is something that I love listening to. And they can cover some incredible information, but they don't just give you an hour of the same thing. It's... 10 minutes here and then they talk to another person yep. or they switch switch topics just slightly so you stay entertained. Uh, you know, stuff like that keeps keeps the mind fresh and it, it becomes information and entertainment at the same time and that's really how you learn it. I think that's what a lot of people are doing. MRAP probably was the start of it. I I crave the first of each month, uh, particularly when I'm mowing the yard and doing my house tours. That's when I get a lot of my uh, podcasting done because it's good multitasking. And then when I get to the end of the month and I've listed all those podcasts I want to listen to and I still have chores to do in the house, I'm like, now what do I do? This is gonna this is gonna be boring. It's like I have to, to wait music. to do I'm my chores until next month. Yeah, I guess it's better <laughs> to wait a few days. Um, and, and now more conferences are jumping on board with that. You know, we we developed a little bit of a relationship with the guys with the Teaching Institute, and they seem to be doing that same kind of entertainment, inspirational education, and and that's certainly a lot of ways really what bounce backs is in paper form as opposed to in a audio form or in a in a live lecture form. So we've taken for this um, this third book, the Critical Care book, it's going to be a, a pretty interesting format that is not going to concentrate as much on the first case, or the first visit, I should say, as the other books have, but it's going to actually take the reader down the pathway of the return visit, the critical care visit, and it's going to stop at different decision points and going to ask questions. You know, where should we go? Find what the literature says about answers to those questions see what the actual provider did, and then move on to the next decision point. So it's really going to try to go to that next level of putting the reader in the footsteps of the actual practicing emergency physician as this critical care patient comes in to see us and, you know, again, help us correlate our own practice with what the literature would say and then to see what the actual provider did. It's going to be a very interesting format. I'm very, very excited about it. I look, I look forward to that coming out. Critical care, I think, is something very excited. That's so many cool. of us crave to learn about, maybe not always to do in the emergency department, because it's very labor-intensive, time-consuming, you just want to get them out, get them to the ICU, but um, that next step in management is, is hugely important for us to be good physicians and good practitioners. So, changing what we're doing a little bit, we uh, want to make this light. So, we all have sort of superheroes that we associate with. Okay. Uh, I'll let these guys introduce their superheroes. For me personally, I, I went really obscure. I went to Splinter from uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, you guys? Uh, mine's Thor. Let's not have heard it before. I actually had a revelation recently. Oh. Uh, nice. I, I remembered that as a child, I had a superhero that I loved, and I kind of forgot about them because they kind of drifted off into space for a while and they, so I used to say Wolverine was my favorite but I have revisited that now I, I'm changing my, okay. my favorite is The Flash The Flash Flash that's big nice. yeah. from big. DC Comics is there a different Flash is there a different comics I guess that's true I was thinking <laughs> I, would, I always get Flash Gordon who's also a comic book Persona, no, no, the Flash, the, the Flash, Flash. Okay. Barry Allen. Right. That's like Flash. the Ohio State University. I mean, come on, let's not get let's not get confused about <laughs> okay. what's going on here. The Flash, the Flash. Good one. That's great. Yeah. So, if you had a superhero that you would associate yourself with, what would it be and why? Wow, that is that is so tough. And the funny thing is, I'm sitting here panicking, like as you guys are going through these <laughs> awesome, like cool superheroes, thinking like, man, I got to come up with a good one. Um, 
I don't know. Is it, is it too cliche, like Spider-Man? No. Like the, like the new, you know, uh, That's know with, a, with a great, you know, audio, visuals and the... I, I, I don't know. I've been you can watching see with better, my hear kids. better, climb walls. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, 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 no. yeah. Someone I aspire to who will always do good. That's right. <laughs> the new Spider-Man is pretty fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not that the old one was awful, but it's... The middle one was kind of bad. Right. Yeah, the middle one was kind of bad. Well, or maybe not. So on top of that, we also talk about people. We're here at breakfast. We're at DK Diner. What's your favorite? I guess you could either do it one or two ways. If you had a place you always like to go for breakfast, or is there a breakfast food that you just crave? That if you're going to go get one thing, what what is Mike cooking? I go to Trader Joe's, and I get Hemp Plus. It's an old green box. It's got a nice visual on the front of the box. Put a couple raspberries and some blackberries in it with some skim milk, and I have that like every single morning. In fact, I even took my Hemp Plus to Snowmass this weekend <laughs> when I went skiing. I put it in my suitcase. We got some milk there and uh, had every morning. So it's um, yeah, it's my staple. That's where you start your day. Yeah, it's where I start my day, like ninety-eight percent of the days. However, a big plate of ranchos. Huevos Rancheros sometimes can uh, can be good too. That, that's hard to refuse. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. I'm a big spice guy. Really enjoy um, El Yucateco. Yeah, yeah. I like the, the green El Yucateco hot sauce. But yeah, all the flavors, right? Yeah, yeah. Something that complements the food but keeps it keeps it spicy. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Is there any parting wisdom that you would like to leave with us today? Well, I, I just say, you guys, this this is awesome what you're doing. And I think that as you keep talking to people, I mean, finding an inspiration in medicine that I, you know, I would talk about Mel Herbert, but I mean, there's a lot of folks that I see that are out there doing it, you know, Swami and, you know, Rob's doing a great job with MRAP and, um, you know, Greg Henry is so colorful and has contributed so much to medical education. And, you know, thinking about some of these folks that are out there on the front lines, like really trying to improve things within our profession. You guys doing this is, is incredibly great. And uh, listen to a couple of the, of the podcasts just, you know, getting ready for today. And I'm looking forward to listening to more. So thanks for what you guys are doing. Or I'm excited to listen to this and uh, can't wait for Critical Care Bounce Backs to come out. That'll be fantastic. Thanks again, guys. Yeah.